Women have been in the music industry from the beginning, and a lot of them have left their mark. In a world where women are fighting for equal pay with their male counterparts, in the music industry, they seem to be right on par. On this episode, we're going to talk about some of the great women in music, and some of the women you might not have heard about. Listen in and find out. The KOFB Studio presents Milk Crates and Turntables, a music discussion podcast hosted by Scott McLean with his co-host, Jack Calabrese. Now, let's talk music. Enjoy the show. Thank you, Amanda, as usual, for that wonderful introduction. Welcome to Milk Crates and Turntables, but of course you already know that because you're either listening to the podcast or watching it on the live stream, or streaming live over Facebook Live, YouTube, and Twitch. All right, tonight's show, Women in Music. And without further ado, let me bring on my co-host, Mr. Jack Calabrese. Hey. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Can you hear me okay? Man, you're sounding clear and precise, buddy. We have clear, sound precise, now. a little concise. The Boston accent's coming through. Yeah. Is yeah. all sons of bitches. Yeah, right. Uh, before we go any further, I have some, uh, I just want to give a, a, a shout out. A shout out. If you see behind me on the live stream, you'll see a, a Led Zeppelin three pinball machine that I picked up Saturday at arcade game sales in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That is one of the greatest stores I've ever been into. It has every video game you want, retro games. Uh, it has retro cases with games with 3,000 games in it. They, he had 30 pinball machines lined up. So if you're in the market for a pinball machine or a video game, contact Arcade Game Sales in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Robert will take care of you. I'll tell you that. Uh, also, we have a sponsor. I want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Great White Hot Sauce. It's small-batch handmade hot sauce, but it's got a bite. It's got a bite to it. <laughs> it really does. Um, go to hey, w- while, we're w- rec- while we're recognizing people, you know, you've pointed out the Led Zeppelin pinball machine. For those of you that are watching, I just want to point out this board behind me right here. It was actually donated by my neighbor, Zach Parker. It's uh, just a board. It's made out of, you know, wood. (laughs) Great. Let me get back to the sponsor, Great White Hot Sauce. It's small batch handmade hot sauce. It's the sauce that bites. Go to www.trygreatwhite.com and order some. You won't regret it. That is some kick-ass hot sauce. I was a big fan of the other popular brand that I won't uh, bring in because they're not sponsoring us. But I suggest Great White Hot Sauce. Go get some. So is it, is it just one flavor? Does he like have a full line of you know flavors? Is there habanero? He's got, he's got and- salsa. He's got salsa. He's got, uh, yeah, different hot sauces. Go to www.trygreatwhite.com. Yeah. Uh, also, a friend of ours, um, Stephen Romano, a lifelong friend, is a member he he's he's involved with a Facebook group that has over 150,000 members all over the world and we're not going to say the Facebook group um but he's involved with it and he called me today he likes this podcast so much that each week he's going to send this podcast to five different people in five different countries around the world so that's a pretty good boost that that's a lifelong friend right there. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what we will see where it takes us. Um, so yeah, this week we have uh, women in music, which is one of the things that I like. As you know, I gravitate toward women's you know, vocalists usually. And as I said in the intro, in a world where women are fighting for equality in pay with their male counterparts in the music industry, women are right on par. They really are. 
you you can't if there's a woman with talent and there's a guy with half talent, they're not going to say let's take the man. No, women will win all the time. Uh, so yeah, I think. Uh, what do you got? You got anything for me? Well, I mean, be- before we get started, you know, I just say when we selected this topic, I was talking to my wife. I was like, uh, you know, hey, next week we're going to do women in music. And she was like, oh, that's great. I was like, yeah, but a little bit challenging, you know, pretty broad topic. And she goes, what is that? You're supposed to be funny. Is that one of your little Jackieisms? Ah, uh, boom, boom. Broad topic. Come on. She was like, really? You're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. I was like, no, no, that's not, that's not what I, what I meant. But I mean, there's, there's an awful lot to talk about. And I, and I have to tell you, I'm not sure if you had the, the same thought that, that I did, but as I was thinking about it, you know, do, do you actually have to segment women in, in music or, you know, should they, should women just be listed as, you know, the greatest, you know, guitar players or the greatest vocalists of, of all time? You know, do they need a, a separate category? And strangely enough, coincidentally, serendipitously, the current issue of Rolling Stone is really dedicated to to women. You know, one of the kind of the, the neat things in the, you know, the latest uh, edition is that there are some essays that are actually written by contemporary artists about the more classic artists so you know you have um you know and, and there, I, I have this wrong but you might have like taylor swift actually writing about Joni mitchell or you know something like that you know so that there's there's a section in the current magazine that is all uh women so i i think that we're we're right on the money oh yeah yeah i believe so i believe so uh our sponsor actually just messaged in uh his hot sauce flavors are Reaper, Ghost, and Pineapple Habanero. That one is great. <laughs> so there you go. He answered your question. He's a, he's not only a, a sponsor, he's a he's a listener and a viewer. He's, <laughs> he's hot on it. He's hot on it. There you go. Pineapple jalapeno. Okay. So let's let, let, let's get right into it. Um, as we, as this podcast goes, it's a, it's an organic conversation between, between myself and, and my buddy, Jack. Uh, it's not two guys going, Hey boy, what's up? How you been? No, no, we get into it. Uh, we dig deep. We agree. We disagree. Uh, we might even disagree tonight. You never know. It's an organic conversation. Uh, we have a topic. He has his information. I have mine. And that's, then we just go at it list for list. Uh, so I'm going to jump off, you know, in, um, one of the songs, one of the female singers, one of the songs that always stands out um, to me, and it's one of the songs I can never get sick of hearing. Uh, it reminds me of my mother, as a matter of fact. In, in 1975, Janice Ian came out with At 17, which is such a great, great song. It, it's a timeless song. Uh, everybody that listens to it, and her... her just the way she performs it, I don't think anyone could could do a cover of that uh, and even come close. So that kind of, in 75, she came out with that. But I'm going to go with one of the most underrated f- female vocalists, female singers, or female artists of the 70s. Is uh, And her voice, uh, probably one of the best voices of the 70s, is Phoebe Snow. Phoebe Snow did, you know, Poetry Man, Hoppo's Blues. She had such a great, great voice, and she never really broke that, you know, broke up and broke out into the top 10 or, you know, she was fairly successful actually in the late 70s and early 80s in Europe and Australia, but she never really made it big in the United States, which is a shame because her voice was just, was just amazing. She she passed away uh, in 2011, I think it was from a she had a, a brain aneurysm and then a coma and then passed away. But uh, yeah, Phoebe Snow is one of those female vocalists that I, that just always touches me when I hear her, her her music. Why do you, why do you think she didn't hit in the United States? I, I mean, she she obviously had a couple of hits. I think I think most people, at least in our generation, know those those songs and, and admittedly i don't really know her catalog beyond uh 
you know, the few things that I heard on the radio. Um, you know, I think, I think partly, you know, part, partly, you know, is that, you know, when those songs came out, you know, I was an idiot kiss fan and probably didn't pay too much attention to it. Uh, you know, not to mention there, there wasn't a lot of, um, female influence in the house. I and mean, obviously my mother was around, but me and my caveman brothers, you know, we were listening to, you know, rock. So, you know, that's stuff we were aware of that was on, on the radio, but probably not beyond that. Yeah. I don't think she really broke through because it was, it, it really, the seventies was a massive influx of female artists that came on the scene. You know, you go with uh, Karen Carpenter, Olivia Newton-John, Linda Ronstadt, Donna Summer, Carol King, Diana Ross. I mean, you get on the list. That's a tough crowd to break into, you know. So I just don't think she ever really had the push, you know. So what do you got? Who's first? Well, on your you, list? Know, you just you just listed a lot of the you know the female uh, singers, women singers, women artists. Uh, of the seventies, but you, you forgot a biggie. And and I know that you just rattled off a couple off the top oh, of your head, but yeah, you know, the biggest yeah. one for me is Joni Mitchell. You know, Joni Mitchell is just an, an incredible star. I mean, you talk about longevity. I mean, she's still holding on. She's had some health concerns over the past number of years, uh, but you know, just huge influence, a musician's musician. One of my favorite things there's there's a couple of documentaries that are floating around on netflix and and some other um you know stations about laurel canyon and jointly part of that that crew along with you know the eagles were out there and crosby stills nash and and young uh you know the monkeys lived out there frank zappa lived out there and whatnot and they all used to get together and play music and there's there is a black and white photo of Joni Mitchell playing her acoustic guitar, just sitting in the grass, and less than like two feet away is Eric Clapton looking at her. Now, Joni Mitchell is kind of famous for using alternate tuning, you know, open tuning, like just real weird stuff. And and Eric Clapton is looking at her completely dumbfounded, like just how the hell is she doing that? You know, and this is him coming you know, out of the cream days where he was playing with Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce and doing the heavy, heavy stuff. And I think that that helped influence his direction and kind of going solo and trying to get a little deeper and exploring kind of the country blues and, and, and that type of thing. But a Rolling Stone, you know, lists Joni Mitchell as one of the greatest songwriters ever. All music basically said that when the dust settles, that Joni Mitchell may stand as the most important and influential female recording artist of the late 20th century. You know, some people regard her Blue album as one of the best albums of all time. Uh, it's certainly on the, the Rolling Stone top 500 albums of all time. I think it's in the top 10. Uh, and she has a number of albums that, that uh, you know, came after. Probably most notable is Court and Spark. She went into, you know, jazz and played with people like Jaco Pastoria, Wayne Shorter, Herbie Hancock, Pat Metheny played in her band. She played with Charles Mingus. Um, she not only played and found her own style of playing, but she actually produced every one of her own albums. And she actually designed most of the album covers. I mean, so you're talking about a true all-around artist. Only got to see her once and talk about, you know, misalignment. So a bunch of us from Winthrop, Massachusetts, took a bus down and we saw a show at Giant Stadium called the Conspiracy of Hope Tour. I don't know, there was 60, 70,000 people on. And they made the mistake of putting, here's the, here was the lineup. It went Lou Reed, Peter Gabriel, Brian Adams, and then the police and you too. And between Brian Adams and the police, they wedged an acoustic playing Joni Mitchell. Ouch. Bad slottage. Bad slottage. You know, by this time, people were exhausted, people were drunk, and people were really ramped up, you know, high, high energy, um, you know, bands, and people really dying to see the police in U2. And then you throw Joni Mitchell up there just with an acoustic guitar. I just felt, we were pretty close to the stage, and I just felt horrible because you could see the look of frustration on her face. Ah, I bet. Yeah, no, but I mean, amazing, amazing artist. I wish I had actually gone to see her and saw like a full set. You know, I mean, it's great that I saw her, but it was three or four songs at most. I was 
never a big Joni Mitchell fan. I don't ha- have anything against her. I don't dislike her. I don't have any criticism of her. I just was never a big fan. Like that just her genre of music, that style of music. Um, she had some she has some good songs that I listened to, but wait, I never went minute, out and bought how, how can how can you say that? She played the same type of music like like Phoebe Snow or Janice Ian. It's that same kind of genre. I like them better. <laughs> <laughs> what can I tell you? It's because he's Joni fucking Mitchell. Doesn't mean I'm supposed to go, oh my god, she's the greatest. She hung out in Laurel Canyon and oh she's I just didn't dig <laughs> her, man. I'm sorry. You listen to some of the uh, some of her early albums. There's no way that you can deny the fact that she hugely influenced certainly Crosby, Stills, Nash, and, and Young. You can hear a lot of similarities. Oh, As yes, a matter of fact, I mean, she was she was romantically involved with with Graham Nash for for years yeah. and or or a, a couple of years. He wanted to marry her, and she's she's new. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I have no criticism of her. I I don't dislike her. I don't. It's just her voice. She has that. It's her. It's just her voice. Her voice to me was that high kind falsetto. of falsetto. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I and uh, I'm just didn't. I I never went out and bought one of her albums. Let's put it that way. But I never turned it off when I heard it on the radio either. I was kind of I'm kind of neutral with her. Yeah, you know. That's cool. Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, I, she's she's ultra talented. And no I'll tell you, the, 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 one, the one thing that, that I, you know, noted when I was looking at her discography, you know, and, and I think this is, is true, certainly of those, you know, the people in the, in the 60s and 70s, Joni Mitchell put out 10 albums between 1968 and 1979, which was her absolutely, absolutely her, her creative stride. And I think one of the reasons why, you know, she had such success back then was she was putting the time in, you know, back, back then, you know, musicians were working musicians, you know, the Beatles put out, you know, 10 albums in 10 years, probably more than that. They were in there and they were doing it. They were in that mode and they were just turning it out. And Joni Mitchell, you know, the, you know, the same thing. And there's a lot of albums, uh, our artists back then did the same thing. They were putting in the time and they were working musicians, not like, you know, a lot of the musicians now, including, you know, our beloved U2 that puts out an album every three, four or five years or whatnot. How do you get into a rhythm that way? You know, they hit their rhythm. They had their rhythm. Their rhythm has come and gone. They were they were the kings of the 80s. You know, you could pretty much say that and into the 90s. But uh, we'll talk about them another time. Um, so I'm going to go into slight obscurity. Not obscurity in the sense of you don't know who she is, but obscurity in the sense of you only know her for probably one thing. And But I'm going to lead into something else. Susie Quattro came on the scene in 1973, right? She was an absolute original in the sense that she was the female rock and roller with the leather, you know, the leather jacket, just that tough girl kind of attitude. Now, she didn't have any hits. She was known as for being Leather Tuscadero on Happy Days, Pinky Tuscadero's little sister, right? Wait a minute. Didn't she, didn't she have one hit? What about Stumbling In? Yeah, she had, like I said, she had, okay, she had one hit, maybe two that, you know, never really, uh, uh, you know, but that was it. And then she was kind of gone. Like a Su- Susie Quattro did stumbling in with, with it was, Stu- it was Susie Quattro and some other guy. Yeah. I mean, you, you talk I, about I, her I, being I, obscure. Yeah. That's right. She comes tumbling in. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. They, they, the other guy, I don't even remember his name. I think he was an Australian. I don't think anybody knew him in the States. Well, that, and that makes sense because another one like, like, uh, 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 Phoebe Snow, she she was popular in Europe and Australia, which it's kind of strange that the two women that I picked first. So Susie Quattro was kind of a flash in the pan. She was, you know, Leather Tuscadero on Happy Days. But what happened was in 75, this girl named Joan Jett comes along and just takes the baton from her, raises the bar, and becomes the 
the queen of uh, of female leather wearing rock and roller with the with the sick attitude and just that I'm not taking any shit from the guys. Whereas I think Susie Quattro but might have been more produced. You know, the seventies was infamous like the nineties and today is for creating artists. So she hands the, the baton to Joan Jett in the runaways and they you know they take it to the next level and they they had the same look man yeah except they were real they 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 were real you know rock and rollers they were so so how how much how much have you looked at, into Susie Quattro I I read something recently doesn't she have a new record coming out or just came out I'm not I'm not that like I said I, I never followed her but I just kind of was was looking at, the, at at music history I I, th- and- I think I think if if you look it up you will, you will find that she either just released a record or is releasing a record. And I think one of the reasons why she's doing that is there's a little bit of a resurgence when it comes to Susie Quattro because there's a, uh, a documentary that is, is out or about to be out or about Susie Quattro, and there's, there's a lot of renewed interest. Which is interesting because she was a, uh, uh, for a couple of years, at least she was on top of the, you know, she was on top of the world. She was everywhere because she was so unique in in, in that style that she that and she was she was an individual. You know, you you got Olivia Newton John, and then you get this girl that comes along, who's the polar opposite. Kind of tough, you know, kind of edgy. Yeah, yeah, and people yeah. like you know, so, people you know, like so a real you know a real strength that she had about her. Yes, yes. So, so you get, go ahead. Go on. No, I was just going to say, I, I just wrapped it up with, so Susie Quattro uh, leads to Joan Jett, uh, the Runaways, and then eventually Joan Jett and the Runaways, and then Joan Jett, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. You, you know, you got to give you got to give Joan Jett credit. I mean, you know, look, the, the trail that they blazed, you know, with the Runaways is, you know, again, you know, talk about breaking into a man's world. I mean, playing hard rock, they must have had a, a, a long, tough road. Uh, and then, you know, again, you know, she met a whole lot of resistance with the, you know, with the Blackhearts, um, you know, got a lot of, a lot of rejection. You know, that my, my only issue with, with Joan Jett is, you know, I think, I think she's got a handful of great songs and, and I give her a hell of a lot of credit for her longevity and for really grinding it out. But is there, is there such a thing as a great Joan Jett record? from start to finish that could that could be said for a lot a lot of artists like we, we and we've discussed this and it comes up maybe almost every episode that if back then and i think you referenced it last week you get on the train you go into boston you go to strawberries you buy a record you bring it home and uh and i believe i had mentioned it too that if he has three or four good songs on it out of 12 considered a good record yeah you know uh, i'll tell you be, be, before we get too far away from phoebe snow I'll, I'll tell you one one of my theories is you know phoebe snow was was big in australia and europe and other parts of the world and not so much america and i think one of the reasons is she didn't fit the mold she didn't fit the build i mean yeah. you think of all of those other female artists that you had mentioned that were big in the early seventies, right? So, what, what did you list? What did you list off? You listed off Olivia Newton-John, oh, Donna Summer, John, Carly Simon, Donna Summer, Diana Ross, Linda Ronstadt, Carol King. Th- those are those are all strikingly beautiful women that are very marketable in a, in a lot of different ways. You know, I mean, Linda Ronstadt, gorgeous. You know, I mean, just you know, posters of her and whatnot. Phoebe Snow did not have possessed those types of looks. And I think that there's a certain amount of discrimination in the, the, the U S that unless you fit that mold, or at least back then, that if you didn't fit that mold of looking glamorous and star-like that you could be passed over. And I, 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 I think that, I think that Europe and other parts of the world were a little bit more open to looking at the individual and their artistic merit. So I'm gonna, I'm going to go a step further, and this has nothing to do with anything in today's world, today's politics. 
This isn't a virtue signal. This is none of it. This is you and me talking music, and we never cross those lines when we talk about this stuff. But I also would say that the genre of music that she did sing wasn't R&B, it wasn't soul, it wasn't disco. She was a black woman singing contemporary, you know, classic AM gold, you know, soft rock. Folk music. music. And if you look, try to find another uh, uh, black female artist that was doing that. <laughs> right? I mean, we could, I'm sure if we thought long enough, we could come up with one, but they just weren't, uh, they just weren't prevalent. They weren't, they weren't in the mix. And she was in, she was in the mix and she broke through at least and had a, a she has a, a good, you know, small catalog of hits that you hear on the radio, you know, AM gold, uh, stuff like that. But I, I think that might've had something to do with it either. They didn't yeah. you know how do we market this? It's, you know, it, so she suffered that too, I'm sure. Yeah. You so know, Tracy Joyner says no. Well, I'm wondering what she, she means by no. Does does she agree? Does she disagree? Because I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I could say one thing. I am not in somebody one Neil Freeman just, just messaged in one of the listeners uh and says uh Janice Joplin. I am not a fan whatsoever, zero, of Janis Joplin. I think Janis Joplin is overrated, uh, and you can disagree with me all you want. I'm not changing my mind in this. I I just don't get it. I That raspy, you know, whiskey voice. And, I mean, how long was she really on the scene? She had, a you know, that soulful voice, but it's like every song, there's nothing new to it. Her voice is... Yeah, it's that whiskey voice, whiskey and cigarettes voice. I was just never a huge fan. I don't think, you know, but then again, I don't like Santana either. Well, you know, I I think, you know, Janis Joplin probably gets a lot of credit. Again, I think she was one of the few artists back in that day that kind of crossed that gender line where she was singing, you know, bluesy and playing in the rock and roll world. Where there weren't a lot of you know women that certainly that that weren't the leaders of their band. I mean, you could make the argument for Grace Slicka and, and the Jefferson Airplane, you know. And, and I understand it. Her what you're saying. I mean, her her voice is probably an acquired taste. It's raspy. It could get a little bit too much. I I think that the work that that she did. There's some really amazing stuff. And and I and I will I will tell you. I'm not a huge Janis Joplin fan. I like her. I like you know some of the stuff, but sometimes she's a, a little bit a little bit too much for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I think part of the the allure of the Janis Joplin story is the Janis Joplin story. You know, okay. kind of, and I'm I'm not I'm not judging, but you know, kind of regarded as the the ugly duckling that was uh, really looked over in terms of the small town that she grew up in and became one of the biggest stars in, in the world in the, in the late sixties. Um, and really had the, the world by the short hairs to, you know, to a certain extent. Um, but you know, Woodstock Monterey pop festival. And then, then of course, you know, her tragic death, I think it all adds fuel to that drama and kind of keeps the story going. I, yeah, I I think right. that I think the question that that we probably both have is if Janis Joplin had lived, would she be regarded as the influential person that she is regarded as? It's an interesting question. It is, yeah. That that's that's that that could, that could be a show as far as artists that died young and would they have been influential in the future? So, who do you got on your list? Who's next? Um. So I'll tell you, you know, just, just looking at, at some of the artists that we looked at, and, and I know that I've spoken about her before, but Patti Smith is one of my big, big heroes. Uh, you know, and again, you know, goofy kid from Winthrop, you know, you know, Kiss and Queen and, and that type of thing. And then, you know, Don Kirshner's rock concert and Saturday Night Live, and all of a sudden I'm exposed to Patti Smith and did not know what the hell it was. <laughs> I mean, just completely opened my eyes. 
Uh, and, and, you know, we were just talking about Janis Joplin. I think one of the, the bigger Patti Smith fan right now than I have been in the past is she put out a memoir a handful of years uh, ago called um, Just Kids. And it is the, you know, a memoir of her and Robert Maplethorpe, you know, coming to Manhattan and aspiring to be artists and being like poverty stricken. I mean, no money, you know, whatsoever, you know, grabbing furniture off the street, living off the street, you know, eating jello and splitting burgers and, and, and that type of thing. I mean, you know, talk about, um, you know, somebody with humble beginnings. But re- really kind of interesting story all along. I mean, her, I love her her music, especially, you know, the early stuff. But I think that she has been largely overlooked in terms of her catalog. I think that she has a lot more to offer than most people think. Um, one, of the, one of the interesting things that I, that I came about is that um, she, for a little while, actually lived with a guy by the name of Alan Lanier. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but Alan Lanier was the bass player and the keyboard player for Blue Oyster Cult. They actually, you know, they, so they Alan, lived together. Alan Lanier? Alan Lanier. Lanier is how it's pronounced. Yeah. They, they, they lived together for a little bit. But as I, you know, dove a little bit deeper about, about Alan, not only did he play, you know, with Blue Oyster Cult, which, by the way, when she first connected with Alan, she was actually considered to be the lead singer of Blue Oyster Cult. How how would that have been? Patty Smith wow. singing Don't Fear the Reaper and Godzilla. Yeah. Which are the only but two the, songs they're known for. But uh, you know, Alan Alan Lanier not only, you know, wrote for Blue Oyster Cult, but he actually also wrote for The Clash. He also wrote for Iggy Pop and Jim Carroll. He actually plays, you know, the the uh video for those people the people that died, you know that song? Yeah. Jim He's playing piano in the in the in the video. But um she ended up leaving him and then she ended up marrying Fred Sonic Smith of the MC5, you know, great Detroit. Oh yeah. Pretty Led, punk uh, band Led, if you want to call them. Legend, and that's yeah. another uh, that's another show. Uh but they lived out uh you know, the, certainly the rest of his life together and he passed away from cancer, but she just has an amazing catalog. I think she's largely underrated and and you know, I'm not sure that that Patty Smith has the look to be the big star filling stadiums and, you know, giant concert halls i think she's found her sweet spot and i think that's kind of where she belongs yeah yeah i i like her i have no problem so i'm gonna i'm gonna move ahead so in new wave new wave actually broke the the new wave really hit in 79 and this was my other than elvis costello watching the detectives in 77 i think that came out I'm get, I know it's women in music, but I'm getting to that point. So there's a few songs that stand out to me that kind of really introduced me, put me over the top to, to, to New Wave, which, you know, you and I are huge. That was our generation's, you know, uh, uh, genre for, for a while. We were there right from the beginning. So in 79, the first song that, that, re, that really brings back the memory of putting me into the New Wave world is XTC's Making Plans for Nigel, right? That one, I was like, holy shit. Now, that's not a female band or a female singer. But this next two. Then I heard Lena Lovitch, Lucky Number, in 79. And I absolutely was like, when you first heard Patti Smith, when I heard her singing Lucky Number, I was like, wow, this shit is good. Like this is this is where I'm at. This is my shit right here. Then she came out with new toy, right? Also in '79, the Flying Lizards came out with their version of "Money." The lead singer, Deborah Evans Stickland. I want money. That's what I want. Those are burned into my brain. The synth in the in that song, just her 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 it's it's almost spoken word. You know? It's too much synthesizer in that song. Oh, 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 here we go. <laughs> Way That's too much synthesizer. For those that might be new listeners, new viewers, we've come to the conclusion that Jack is an anti synthite. Yes. Hey. 
He's an anti-Synthite. You don't That's be calling me that over the air. That's a, you know, in our day and age of cancel culture, I don't want to lose my job because well, I don't, all, the, like, all the synth pop lovers are coming after you. Okay, but I'm telling you, I'm going to get pulled into HR. They're going to say, uh, it's come to our attention that you don't like Gary Newman. Yeah, yeah, or 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 the flying lizards. You know, like the, the flying, flying lizards. lizards. What, so, what's your problem? We're, we're going to have to send you to sensitivity training. Synth synth sensitivity training. Okay. We want you to take these five Pet Shop Boy albums, bring them home, That's listen right. to them, Started come listen. back, and we'll we'll have an open discussion. Yes. So that led into 1980 when I first heard Brass and Pocket. Again, now that was it. That that slammed the door. That was the mic drop. That was the when I heard Chrissy Hine and the Pretenders, or just the Pretenders, uh, Brass and Pocket. Uh, that was it. That was it. Uh, did, uh, now, strange. I don't know if you know this. This is this is an interesting. Did you know? Did you know that her boyfriend was one of the guy, one of the the students that got killed at Kent State? I did know that. Yes. Yeah. So the, the, odd, you're, right? you're not going to throw much by me in terms of Chrissy Hines. She's definitely one of my heroes. And and recently, I yeah. actually read her her uh, autobiography, which, by the way, is not very good. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like Morrissey's autobiography, which is like reading. Um, he's a very unique writer. Let's just put it that way. He 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 does write the way he talks. But uh, so if you if you go back to to those days, and it's probably you know the post Kent State. I mean, Chrissy Hind was just a huge music fan, and she always wanted to be you know involved in music. And when she was living there in Ohio, so this is long before the Pretenders' day, she was actually in a band uh, called Sat Sat. Sun Matt or Saturday Sunday Matinee. And one of the other people that was in the band was Mark Mothersbaugh, who went on to form Devo. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Devo. That's right. Devo. I always get him mixed up with the dude from Weird Sunday. From uh, oh, uh, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. Yeah, I always get those two mixed up. Um, so, uh, well, okay. Chrissy Hind. Uh, goes over to uh, goes over to England, right? Gets gets really deep into the scene there, and she 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 meets a girl named Viv Albertine, right? Viv Albertine was one of the founding members of the Slits, mm-hmm. right? Now you want to talk about ground, babe? They broke the ground for all those women that we just talked about in rock. Okay, the Slits were. They were just absolutely trendsetters. They were groundbreakers. Viv Albertine actually went to Chrissy Hine and asked her, you know, I'm a little hesitant about starting a, an all-female punk rock group, which they were actually punk and reggae. They, and she dated Viv Albertine uh, from the Slits, dated Mick Jones. And she practiced playing in, in uh, 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 Joe Strummer's basement. So yeah. she was around all that. But she asked Chrissy Hine about, I'm, I'm a little hesitant. She goes, just fucking do it. <laughs> like, don't, who cares? Just fucking do it. You know, like only Chrissy Hine could, right? Well, that, and that's, then, that's, you know, that's Chrissy. Chrissy. Let's break out and that's it. Yeah. Chrissy, as you said, you know, Chrissy Hine was definitely a, around that scene. So, you know, some of the tidbits that I kind of pulled out of the, you know, the autobiography that she had written. So, you know, she went over there, um, you know, initially she was around the scene to a certain extent, you know, some of those folks actually kind of dismissed her as a loud mouth, know-it-all yank with not a lot to, to offer. But she and Mick Jones actually tried to start a band that just didn't, you know, go anywhere. And obviously Mick Jones had bigger and better things to do. Uh, she was also in a band called Masters of the Backside, but she was asked to leave just before they fully formed and changed their name to the damned. The damned, yeah. Yeah. So boy. The you know, the the other thing is she actually had she had a job, um, you know, famous shop, sex, which is where the sex potentially were formed. That was kind of yeah. one of the epicenters of the of the punk scene. But there's a part in the book where uh she gets trouble with immigration. She kind of overstayed her her welcome. So they hatched a plan to get her married so she could stay in the country. 
So originally, Johnny Rotten was going to marry Chrissy Hine, you know, a marriage of convenience so she could stay in the country. He was a no-show. So who stepped up? Sid Vicious. And they actually got to, they got as far as they actually went to whatever their version of City Hall or Town Hall was to actually do it. And the office was closed. And then it, wow. it just didn't happen again because he had other court appearances or, or whatnot. But, uh, you know, eventually she found James Honeyman Scott and Pete Farndon. And, um, you know, the rest was kind of history. You know, and that Martin first album, Martin, you know, as, as you know, what's that? The drummer, Martin. Uh, Martin Chambers. Martin Chambers, yes. Yeah, Martin Chambers. Yeah. Fan, so fantastic that? band. Just a, absolutely oh, fantastic band. Riddled on, with, with tragedy. Yeah. So, what do you got? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, my first big exposure, you know, to, to talk about influences, the, the person that initially introduced me to the Pretenders was my dad. My father was the one that actually brought the first Pretenders album home. And my oh. biggest exposure to them was Phil Kelly from Winthrop and I were in line at Ticketron to get tickets to the Joe Perry project that was playing at the Orpheum. And the guy in front of us was in line to return to Pretenders tickets because the, their shows had gotten not canceled, but postponed. And the guy behind the window would not issue him a refund because the concert was rescheduled. It wasn't postponed. And we literally tapped him on the shoulder and said, we'll buy those off of you. And Phil Kelly and I went and saw the original Pretenders maybe six or eight rows back, and they were a ferocious band, just unbelievable, fantastic. They would battle on stage for sound. Pete Fonda yeah. loved turning his bass up, you know, and they, they drive each other crazy during the sets. Um, what else you got? What other uh, – I know we got a lot, but – So um, the other one, you know, it, I'm – I just, I just had to do it. I mean, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I mean, this is, this is such a big topic, and we didn't really, oh, huge. yeah. You know, we, we really didn't. Um, we, we could have done a better job at kind of narrowing this down a little bit. But this, this is definitely one that can go on for episodes and episodes. But one, that, one that I, I picked was um, Pat Benatar. Uh, yeah. You know, Pat Benatar. You know, or, you know, but again, just like, um, you know, the Pretenders' early days of, of MTV. Uh, Pat Benatar, not her original name. And, and you can probably understand why she actually changed her name. But Pat Benatar was born Patricia May Andrea Zajewski. <laughs> and I'm definitely like mispronouncing her name. <laughs> yeah. But so, so she, you know, she had an interest in, uh, in music. She did. And I know a lot of people have said in the past that she was training to be an opera singer. And, that, and that's true. She definitely had some training and was considering going to Juilliard, but instead, for whatever reason, maybe she just thought that she didn't have the stuff or was trying to be practical. She went on to pursue uh, health education, and she left school after a year and ended up marrying her local high school sweetheart, Dennis Benatar, who then went actually into the army, and they, you know, they stayed together for, for a little while. Um, and she started performing in like open mic nights and that, and that type of thing. When he got out of the army, they went to New York to try to get her career launched and she started to get success and she ended up dumping him and divorcing him and obviously added insult to injury and kept his last name. Nice. nice. But, you know, um, you know, Pat Benatar, Huge, you know, just monster yeah. talent, obviously, you know, coming out of a tiny, tiny woman. I mean, I don't know how tall she is, but I don't think she's any more than, you know, five foot two, you know, five, five foot three. But in the 80s, I mean, just just think of this. Hell is for children. Hit me with your best shot. We belong. Promises in the dark. I need a lover. Love is a battlefield. Shadows of the night. Invincible. Heart, uh, heartbreaker. You better run. All fired up. Treat me right. Sex is a weapon. Those are just, you know, a handful of the, you know, the songs that, uh, you know, she put out. I mean, she was just hugely influential back then. And by the way, here's a piece of trivia for you. What was the first video played on MTV? Do you remember? Yeah, the Buggles. Yeah, the Buggles video killed the, the radio, radio star. star. Yeah. The, the second one was 
You'd better run by Pat yeah, Benatar. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So um, I had the had the opportunity to see her a, a couple of times. Talk about, you know, the early days back then. The first time I saw her was at the, I think it was at the Berkeley Performance Center. And the opening act was Johnny Cougar. Not John Cougar. No Melon Camp for a number of years, but Johnny Cougar. Ain't Even Done With The Night is one of my favorite songs ever. It's a great I song. That song. That's, I think that's uh, my wife Deb's favorite uh, John Cougar. I movie. love that song, man. It's a great I song. I love that song. It's a great song. So uh, one of our uh, viewers, uh, Gloria Restaino, um, longtime friend, I think we dated. That's a long story between me and her. I love Gloria. She, uh, she and I agree that Courtney Love, I love Courtney Love. I don't care what anyone says about her. You can try to oh, dog God. her. You can try to say whatever you want about her. Who cares if she stole Kurt Cobain's songs or didn't? Who cares if people think she's the Yoko Ono of grunge? I don't care what anyone says. I love Courtney Love. I think she had a lot of balls when she stood up against uh, Harvey Weinstein and then got totally blasted out of Hollywood for doing it. She was the one that set that ball rolling. I think Courtney Love has has she's had a lot of demons, still does. But that album by whole, that second album, Live Through This, is a fucking blockbuster. That is one of the best albums of the 90s. And that's saying a lot. Live Through This by Hole is one of the best albums of the 90s. So I give Courtney love. But that's not my pick who I want to talk talk about. Wait a minute. Do you, do you have a favorite cut off that record? Uh, you know, Doll Parts uh, is, is a great song. Uh, what else? Uh, there was Dog Doll Parts. There's um, Live Through This. That's, that, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's my favorite. Yeah, that's a, the, the, the whole. That's a perfect album from beginning to end. It's a, yeah. it's a perfect album. All every song is good, you know. Yeah, the, so, you know the tough thing about Courtney Love is is you know she's she's over the top. I mean, in in some regard, you know she's almost a caricature of you know somebody that's over the top. And I and I get it. You know she was a you know messed up individual and heroin and you know people call her a hanging hanger on. And some people even accuse her of having Kurt Cobain killed, which I think is a bunch of horseshit. Yeah. Um, but you you don't you don't ascend to that level and have that type of popularity without some talent. Yeah, she could play the guitar. She had a great voice. She had that that voice, that that grunge voice for a female. You know, she broke it up. But I want to get to this 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 person, this this lady, this woman, this this amazing amazing female artist that is so and you're going to agree with me this one we will never have an argument on i am a huge fan of joan armatrading i don't think joan armatrading ever got the, the the again another one who didn't get the push in the united states she's from england her career spans 50 years 50, 19 albums, studio albums, I don't know, nine or 10, you know, live and slash compilation albums. Um, she is just such a talent. She was the, she was on Saturday night live in 77. She was uh season two, episode two, uh, musical guest. And she sang love and affection. If you want to hear what I consider in the realm of perfect song, a perfect song. Go YouTube Joan Armatrading Love and Affection. Whether it's just the regular the regular video or it's a concert video or what's what's the guy's name that was with Squeeze that does his own he does a show over in England. Um Oh the uh the, the piano player there. Yeah. Uh, he she Jules Holland. Jane yeah, yeah, Jules Holland. If you see her sing that on Jules Holland, there's no way that song is ever done badly. Joan Armatrading is... So I was introduced to her through uh, an old girlfriend. And her sister, you know, had turned her on to it. So she turned... And I, this was 1980. So I was like, you know, 
into the scene, the Rolling Stones, you know, some girls came out a year earlier, yada, yada, yada. So I, you know, this girl turns me on to Joan Armatrading's album, Me, Myself, and I, which was a, a kind of a new version of her. I love the album. I still have the album. We break up a year later or so. Joan Armatrading comes to the Orpheum Theater. I take my, my and then new girlfriend, Amy O'Brien. <laughs> you, you have a whole other list that you have to go through. <laughs> so we go to see her at, at, at the Orpheum, Joan Armatrading. Great show. And who's there? But the girl who introduced me, the old girlfriend, was there. Ah, nothing happened, thank God. But uh, Joan Armatrading, in 2007, she came out with an album, Into the Blues, debuted at number one on the Billboard Blues chart. The first UK female artist to ever do that, right? But she's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the Go-Go's are nominated. A woman with a 50-year career, uh, new, you know, but again, didn't really break through in the United States. So I guess you, they don't. Do you know why she didn't break through in the United States? Well, she did, but she just never made it big. Why? She had the same issue as Phoebe Snow. They could, they did not know how to market her, uh, and, uh, which, which is which is which is yeah. really an injustice on a number of different levels. Oh, she's in so a bunch of different ways. You know, they, they, they tried to say, oh, Tracy Chapman is the next Joan Armatrading. You can't be the next anything when the original is still pumping out albums. By the, by the way, that show that I had mentioned to where we saw Joni Mitchell with the police and all that, Joan Armatrading was on that bill as well. She played in the afternoon and she was phenomenal. Oh, I'll tell you, a so dreadfully great. underrated guitar player. Oh, I was going to say, well, you know, go uh, go check out her video. Uh, uh, one of the videos uh, for her that blues album that she came out with uh into the blues um she played it uh what was it uh what's the, what's the big uh uh festival over in england um the big one uh, you know what i'm talking about uh yes not nebworth not 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 nebworth uh the other one anyways regardless but go youtube love and affection that is a phenomenal song man and like April Bernard said, a pure voice. Glastonbury. Yes. Glastonbury. She was on the jazz stage in 2008, actually. She did, you know. But Joan Armatrading, like April, April Bernard agrees with me. One of our viewers never got the props she deserved. But go listen to Love and Affection. You can't go wrong. So if I didn't get to her, I would have been pissed at myself. So you can... Take the last one, and then we're going to move on to the final segment of the show. Well, I, I, I don't know if I, if I want to go into another one. I don't want to, I don't want to shortchange anybody. But I, I guess I, you know, would I really have more of a question for you? And this isn't really diving into one particular artist, but knowing that we were actually going to tackle this this catalog, you know, we're talking about uh, Phoebe Snow and Janice Ian and Joni Mitchell and Pat Benatar and Patti Smith. Did you by any chance actually happen to listen to any contemporary music to see if you could bring somebody new into the mix? Because I'll tell well, you, I did, I, did. I, I did last week when I mentioned uh, Jessica Lee Mayfield and, you know, uh, I, I, I did that last week. I just like to go, you know me, I like going deep dive backwards. I like yeah. bringing these people back to the forefront as much as I can for the, whatever, how many listeners we have. I, I hope people listen to, oh, by the way, uh, every week now, Jack and I uh, put together our playlist of people we mentioned during the show. I'll be putting that the 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 milk milk crates and turntables playlist on Spotify, and I'll be putting it on Facebook tomorrow. I'll send it out. So, but, yeah. In, in any event, you know, I mean, the, you know, the reason that I mentioned that is is I think one of the fun things about actually doing this show is is that. Um, I know for for me, and I'm sure it's the same view. It kind of pushes you to go out and explore and to listen to different things. And so I spent, you know, the last you know week kind of you know diving into Joni Mitchell's you know catalog, but also intentionally listening to you know some some newer folks. So I listened to Mitski. I listened to Lizzo. Uh, I listened to you know Taylor Swift, Beyonce. Uh, you know, just to see 
that music or to hear that music a little bit, you know, more because I wasn't that familiar with it. I have to tell you that that Lizzo album is fantastic. It is, you know, hip hop influence, you know, all over it, but you know, big presence, big sound, big production. I, I really found that to be a, a fun, fun record. And I can't wait to go and see her live. But if you have an opportunity and you're open to hearing a little bit of hip hop, that was a great, great record. Thank you to my daughter, Vanessa, for turning me on to that. All right. Before I forget, before I forget, I got a message this week in regards to the Go-Go's. Okay. I'm going to play it into the mic. I'll hold it up to the camera. It's on my phone as I'm showing the viewers. Right, I'll show the, the still shot of the video. All right. See a middle-aged woman sitting on a top of a table or something and her, all the vinyl records behind her with the guitar next to her. So I got this message. I, I just gotta, I'm just going to play it. So, <laughs> so here we go. Left you speechless. Well, it certainly did. Let me make sure the volume's up. Here we go. All right. So listen to this. Hey, Scott, uh, I have something here I need to read you. Uh, I was given this script to read to you, okay? So hang on. Gina here from the Go-Go's. Oh. Congrats to you and Jack Calabrese on the Milk Crate and Turntable podcast. I know Jack's been pushing for the Go-Go's induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And you, not so much, Scott. Not so much, right? Well, we shall see, brother. Good luck, and fuck you, Daddy. I love you so much, Scott. I can't wait to meet you. Bye-bye, darling. I, I That is a phone drop right there. I can't believe <laughs> Gina's shocked from the Go-Go's. God, she said, fuck you, Daddy, <laughs> to me. I love her now. I love her now. <laughs> I don't. How can I not root for them now? I there's that. That's that. I don't know. I I can't, but I want to now. I really want to. So you, you don't. You don't have to. They're getting in. Okay. Okay. But that, that still was that was unbelievable. <laughs> All right. Now let's get into the the, the, the last segment of the show. Uh, what do you got? This is where Jack breaks out his week's album slash download. Uh, and then I break out my album albums slash downloads. So, so I will, I will share, you know, just a, a, a couple that I had actually purchased. So again, I'm still in the midst of kind of learning about and exploring jazz. And, and the first one that I actually picked up was inventions and Di- Di- inventions and dimensions by Herbie Hancock. Uh, great record on the blue note uh, label. Uh, you know, th- this, this is, Again, one of the real advantages of today's technology is that you have the opportunity to listen to it on something like Spotify before you actually invest in it. But I think it's a, an amazing record and, and love that I did it. In sticking with the spirit of our theme this week and knowing that you and I both share our love for uh, Chrissy Hine, last year uh, the Pretenders actually put out uh, a new record. Uh, and on on YouTube, there are a couple of guys and I think a couple of gals that that actually do record reviews and they kind of share their their record collection. And on a few of those individuals, they regarded this Pretenders release called Hate for Sale as one of the best releases of 2020. I just started listening to it tonight, and it's it rocks, man. I'll tell you, it really rocks. The last thing, uh, and again, you know, sticking with uh, our theme is something that. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever heard of Record Store Day, Scott? Uh, I th- I think I picked up the alarm at the Orpheum Theater. Uh, yeah, that uh, yeah. So you know, Record Store Day for people that don't know is is kind of an organization that that promotes and supports local record stores. And one of the things that they do is a couple of times they a year they have this thing called Record Store Day, and a lot of artists contribute unique releases, repressing, colored vinyl, you know, really interesting things. And one of the things that I picked up on the last uh, record store day that I really kind of just got is the Pretenders live on their first tour at the Paradise in Boston. Ah, nice score. 
Uh, and you know, again, you know, this is essentially what they're playing is is their first album because they didn't have any other material outside of that. But um, you know, this is something that you can absolutely listen to on Spotify, and you should. You can actually hear what a ferocious band these folks were. They were just. Oh, I have no doubt. Yes, I have no doubt. So, so those, those are my big picks for the week. All right, so I I, I picked the download this week. Uh, getting the, the vinyl for this was kind of hard. And if I break out the other one, there's a, there's a group that formed uh, in two, 2016, and they go by the name of Sonder, Sonder, S-O-N-D-E-R, uh, and their album M2. All right, Sonder is a couple of producers and Baltimore-based singer Brent Fayez. They have such a great sound. Uh, it's kind of it's described as minimal beats, blurry multi-tracked vocal harmonies, and a fragmented, futuristic take on traditional R and B. They are they, if you want to hear some cool music, this is just some cool ass music, and it is definitely a, a real different take on R and B. Um, Sonder, Sonder. S-O-N-D-E-R, the album is into. Uh, and the, the, the single I, I'll, I'll probably be putting on the, the playlist tomorrow is called Too Fast. It's just some really cool music to listen to. Um, so give that a listen if you want to try something new. Now, I'm going to go with something old now. And I just broke right into The Meters. The Meters. M-E-T-E-R-S. The Meters were... Um, a New Orleans-based uh, funk group. They were probably right there as one of the originators of funk. And uh, the band is made up of uh, Zigadu Modaleste, George Porter Jr., Leo Nocinatelli, and Art Neville of the Neville Brothers, right? So I think you know who they are, right? You've heard of the Meters? Absolutely, yeah. sure. Big, um, big New Orleans band, right? Well, Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. New Orleans funk. It's funk with the New Orleans twist. They backed up Lee Dorsey. They've backed up Robert Palmer, Dr. John, uh, Alan Toussaint. So they they did they did their time, but on their own, they have. I just downloaded the best of because getting their vinyl is it's hard. It's it's really hard to get uh, the original and the reprints. So. Yeah, the meters go out, go download it, go listen. Sissy Strut is their big hit. That's their that I mean that kind of laid the groove. They they broke around the same time as James Brown. So and that's why I say James Brown is not he's the godfather of funk, if anything. He gets the godfather of soul moniker. But again, his shit is 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 original funk. Now, he might have branched off and started getting more soulful. But the JBs were playing some funk. <laughs> Again, that's why he always said, ain't a funky now. Right? <laughs> so the meters, greatest hits, if you want to hear some good uh, original funk. It's not like it's not like your George Clinton funk. Uh, and Sonder. Those are my two picks. And with that, buddy, we got a complete show. A complete show, and we really just scratched the surface. Oh, my God. Yeah, women in music could go. We could do uh, five episodes minimum. It is a broad topic. <laughs> and, and that's what I liked about it. And, I mean, uh, still, we I, I have some – I got a trivia question for you. All right? And okay. we'll end it on a, on a trivia question um, in, in the audience without Googling. Can you tell me who Suzanne Ann Sully and Joan Catterall are? Say, say that again. Suzanne Ann Shelley and Joan Catterall. I, I don't off the top of my head. You know why you don't know? You only know them as the female voices for Human League. Oh. <laughs> they had a lot of hits, right? They had a lot of hits. I mean, come on, talk about an early staple on MTV. So think about it. These two girls, part of this band, not like Kate Pearson and Cindy Wilson from the B-52s, who everyone knows who they are. These two girls remained in obscurity. 
but the band was enormous at one time. But in, in all in all fairness, you know? and I know that we're supposed to be highlighting, you know, the women, but I couldn't tell you the male members of the Human League either. It's only one. There's <laughs> only one. Yeah. Those girls those girls and that guy, they were really good back in the day. Jack, Jack, just remember. And and, and we'll end it on this note. Um you were working as a waitress in a cocktail bar when I met you. So just remember that when this podcast makes it big. And I don't you want know to what? Hear, I, I, I have to tell you, Scott, even then I knew I'd find a much better place either with or without you. Okay. You goddamn son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, buddy. So we're going to sign off now. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you to our viewers for participating. Uh, we tried to get all the all the messages in, all the chat messages in. Uh, they're still rolling in. We had 100 messages tonight. Women in Music was a good one, buddy. Um, yeah. This, you know, in the spot, this podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. We just got on Breaker today, uh, Pocket Cast, Overcast. Most every platform that has a podcast, find Milk Crates and Turntables. Share it with a friend like our friend Stephen Romano will be sharing it with people around the world. It, if, you, if you listen to podcasts, go in, download it, listen to us, uh, leave comments, share it. We're not going anywhere. You guys are on the ground floor of something that me and Jack are very passionate about, and we're, we're committed to it. And we're going to make this uh, every week. This this podcast gets that much better. So with that, thank you again, everybody, for, for the viewers. And thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Jack, stay on. And don't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. Listen, I'll put you back in that cocktail bar. Right? Just Scott, while we were apart, I was human, too. Uh, all right. Good night, everybody. Thank you very much. Jack, stay on. <laughs>